You know how when you grow up and you're a kid, you just kind of think everybody else grows up like you. You're in kindergarten or first grade, and let's say that you were um, in the country, and you just think everybody else lives in the country because you don't have a perspective outside of you. Or if you grew up in the city, and again, you're in kindergarten, you just think, well, everybody grows up in cities. Some of you that grew up poor, you didn't know you were poor. You just, you grew up poor. Um, Kindergarten, first grade, some of you like went to Hilton Head like every week, you know, every summer. You didn't know that everybody didn't go to Hilton Head every summer, right? So you just thought everybody went to Hilton Head. So, So you're not really quite sure how the rest of the world lives and works until you get a little bit older. That's kind of my analogy to today. I grew up with incredible men in my life. I grew up with these wonderful grandfathers, loved my grandfathers. One grandfather lived a mile south, one lived a mile west. One grandfather taught me how to work, one grandfather taught me how to play. The grandfather taught me how to work. I mean, we were building birdhouses in his garage all summer, all winter long, and then I would sell them door to door. I'm a kid just selling birdhouses door to door. Now, I remember Mr. Legwinski, Mr. Legwinski had a hardware store, and he bought 30 of my birdhouses, and I sold them for two bucks a piece. I got 60 bucks. I'm rich. I'm this kid with all this, you know. And my other grandfather taught me how to play. We shot guns, and we fished. And both these grandfathers really taught me how to drive. One had this brand new Lincoln Continental, and I'm driving a Lincoln Continental through downtown Indianapolis at about age 15. If you can drive a Continental through downtown Indy, it's like a tank. You can drive anything. The other grandfather, I don't know why he did this, he buys a muscle car. The other grandfather in his mid-70s buys a Dodge Charger. How cool was that, man? I'm driving all over the state of Indiana in this Dodge Charger. Uh, I, I have a wonderful dad. I got an amazing dad. He's 82 years old. Uh, my dad was all in, hitting flies and grounders. My dad was all in. I had 14 or 15 different lawns that I mowed. Uh, he bought the mowers. He paid for the gas. He paid for the oil. He go and after work. He'd help me cut the, the lawns, and I got all the money. That's the great deal, right there, wasn't it? Uh, I, I, I have amazing uh, uncles in my. I, I got one crazy uncle, you know, that should have been on an island by himself. But for the most part, you know, and my grandpa Parker, I really, I never, I met him twice. Maybe spent an hour with him, but didn't really know him. But but all the men in my life were outstanding. Um, Mary Danita, Danita's dad, Danita's brothers, outstanding, just out. So I, I don't have any sad dad stories. I don't have any mad dad stories. I don't have any bad dad stories today. So I just assumed, you know, growing up that everybody had great dads that everybody had wonderful grandfathers, and that everybody just had these amazing males that would just pour into their life. I just assumed everybody lived like that. So I became a pastor, and I began to hear stories that other people had, and I'm like, well, surely they're exaggerating. Surely that's not quite true. Nobody could be that bad you know, no father could be like that. And so then I, I, I began to realize that not everybody grew up like, like I did. So how does that apply to us today? So what do you do? What do you do today 
If you've got a sad dad story, a bad dad story, what do you do if you're mad at your dad or a male family member in your life? How in the world do you go forward? Well, in the book of Acts, there's some amazing males in this book of Acts. And in this book, you'll see that they didn't start off great. But again, it was that Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that came inside of their lives. You take Peter, for instance. I mean, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter makes gaff after gaff after gaff, doesn't he? I mean, I mean, you talk about Donald Trump or Hillary, you know, opening their mouths. Really, he's more like Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden, every time he says something, it's kind of the, the Democrats wince, and the Republicans are like, give the guy a mic, right? And, and, and so Peter's more like Joe Biden, honestly. That's not a political statement. It's just an honest statement. And, and so, but the Holy Spirit comes inside of Peter, and Peter's never the same. He becomes wise because of the Holy Spirit. He becomes bold because of the Holy Spirit. He becomes this great man of God because of the Holy Spirit. There's another fantastic male in this uh, book of Acts, which is Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Roman soldier. And this Roman soldier becomes a Christian, and his entire household gets saved. His entire household becomes born again, transformed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Saul of Tarsus is another good example. Until the Holy Spirit came into Saul, Saul was persecuting Christians, and now he's this amazing witness for Christ. My, my favorite is the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer is getting ready to take his own life, and Paul and Silas have been singing hymns at midnight. What an incredible testimony. He realized something was different about them, and at midnight when the earthquake shook, the guards, the, the prison, prison doors came open, and the guards thought, you know, we're all dead, and, 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 and Paul said, don't, don't harm yourself. We're all here, and he said, sirs, what must I do in order to be saved? And they all got saved, and the Holy Spirit then began to transform their lives. So today, I want to pick another male from the book of Acts. But here's where we're headed. At the end of the service, we're going to ask those of you that have mad dad stories or bad dad stories or sad dad stories, we're going to ask you to forgive them. We're going to have a forgiveness service at the very end. Now, I know you're building your case why you shouldn't do that. I'm asking you not to build your case for the next 20 minutes. Just hang on, and we'll get there eventually. So, Stephen, there's a real problem in the church, and it backs in and tells us about this great guy named Stephen. So let's start with Acts. Some of the guys are already going like this. I dare him. So Acts chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 2. Here we go. Acts chapter 6, verse 2 says this. So the 12 gathered around the disciples. There's a problem. The widows weren't getting their daily distribution of food. And they bring it to the leadership to say, solve this problem for us. So the 12 gathered together. They got this problem. They go, you know what? It's a problem, but it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. The problem's real. We need to be preaching we need to be praying, but we're going to get seven guys to help us with this. Choose seven guys who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. That's good leadership. Now, Stephen, so here's where Stephen comes in. He's going to be one of the, one of the seven, okay? Three of you went to Sunday school. That's good. 
Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, so here are some Jewish guys who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, and Stephen's preaching Christ. Stephen's preaching the resurrection, and they're going to fight with him. They're going to argue with him, and he's going to end up on a trial. Jews of Cyrene, Alexander, as well as the province of Sicily and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. And they seized Stephen and they bring him, they brought him then before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses... So now they're going to bring Moses into this, that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of what? So here's opposition. Here's great stress. Here's great pressure in his life. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, he has this enormous, incredible peace taking place. All right, let's keep going now. Now we'll go to chapter 7. There's going to be a trial. Stephen's going to stand trial for his life. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied. Now he begins to tell them all about the history of the Jewish people. And he uses Moses to lead to Christ. They accused him of not believing in Moses. He's going to turn the argument around and go, look, I'm going to show you how the big Mo is going to lead you to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. At that time, Moses was born. And he goes in this long dissertation about how great Moses is. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. This is the Moses who told the Israelites... God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. And he's going, even Moses told you someone greater is coming. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And he received living words to pass on to us, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. This was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf, and they brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. Stephen's on trial for his life, giving the Sanhedrin this speech about why there is a resurrection from the dead. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God had promised, as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. He's just telling their history. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and brought and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon. He's just going through the history. 
He's just working through Old Testament Jewish history, and he's leading them to Christ. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. And then he says this toward the end of his trial. He never read Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He never did. He said, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're always like your ancestors. You're always, you always resist. You see, I think there's some friends in this room that still resist the Holy Spirit because you're afraid to let go and to let God. And in fact, the real danger of not forgiving other people is what's at stake is your family, your future, and your faith. And so you can't have as much of the Holy Spirit as you want if you're still having some issues with forgiveness. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a time your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and you've murdered him. He's talking about Jesus. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There is no other place in Scripture where Jesus is ever standing at the right hand of God. Every other place in Scripture, Jesus is what? He's seated at the right hand of God. This has got Jesus' attention. Here is a great man of God on trial for his life, about to become a martyr, and it's the only place in Scripture where Jesus is ever portrayed as standing. I saw heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What an incredible story. So what he does here, uh, what happens next is pretty predictable. But what Stephen does is absolutely supernatural. So a week ago, um, I was at the uh, eye doctor, and um, I got my eyes dilated and eyes checked, and it was early in the morning. And so I leave the eye doctor's office, and I go, and I'm not going to mention which Starbucks I went to, but I went to a Starbucks north of here, and it's not my normal Starbucks area. So I go there, and I go up to the counter to get my venti unsweet green tea. I kid you not. And the lady behind the desk, she goes, you've been smoking the weed. <laughs> my eyes are dilated this big around, okay? I said, I said no, no, I, I really, she said, honey, you've been smoking the weed. She said, I've been smoking the weed for 40 years. I know what the weed looks like. I thought to myself, how do I get myself into this? How? I said, no, really, I just got my eyes checked. She said, yeah, honey, I know, right, right. And uh, I needed my eye doctor there with me to confirm, to write a note. He's in the room right now. And, and so I said, no. She said, well, why not? Why have it? I said, really, I've, I've, I said, I've never smoked the weed. And she said, why not? Oh, honey, it relaxes you. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with this lady about pot. 
10.15 on a Monday morning, the two other folks behind the counter working there, these two younger folks, they are dying laughing. They think this is hilarious, having a conversation about marijuana. I said, no, really. I said, I, I, I said I've, I've never done it. And she said, why not? I said, well, it's, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? God, help me. And I said, you know, it just really doesn't fit. I'm trying not to use the pastor card. I said, it just really doesn't fit my lifestyle. She said, why not? She kept pressing. I said, well, I'm a pastor in Safety Harbor. She said, what church? I've been looking for a church. (laughs) So if you're in the room right now, do not stand up. (laughs) Do not. You'll get arrested. You'll get fired, okay? And I just said, you know, I just, I invited her to church. She could be here today. I don't, I don't have a clue. Here's the point. There is a point to that story. When the Apostle Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, you see, you can't be full of alcohol and still be full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. You you can't be full of marijuana and be filled with the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit at the same time. You, you can't be full of greed and be led by the Spirit. You can't be full of lust and be led by the Spirit. You can't be full of gluttony or whatever you want to put in here and be filled with the Spirit. And the whole point then is as New Testament believers, is there something supernatural that God wants to place inside of you and that supernatural activity inside of you then allows you to become the man or the woman that God's called you to be. Now, I want to tell you what drove me to preach this message. Because I grew up with these great men, my father-in-law, my, my, my brothers-in-laws. One of them's deceased, but one of them's an elder in the church in, in Maryville, Tennessee. I, I grew up with these great, my dad, my grandfathers, like I said, most of my uncles. And, and I'm like, as a young pastor, I began to hear stories, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I had no idea. I had no idea that there are so many sad dad, mad dad, bad dad stories. And so I began to hear the stories about the incredible fiscal irresponsibility within the homes of dads. I began to hear about the the incredible lack of sexual integrity, I'll put it that way, within the homes. The abandonment, the the belittling, the, 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 the fathers that would just, it's never enough. And all that just messes with you. Danita and I just, we remodeled our kitchen January and February this past year. Several guys from church with their skill sets helped us. But there's one guy that actually worked for two months every day. 74-year-old male, first name's Dick, wonderful guy. And he was kind of the foreman of the project. I'd work with him on Fridays. And on Fridays, he and I would work together. I got to know Dick really well for those two months, those eight or nine Fridays. And he's telling me about his mother. She's an angel. His mother was kind and generous and, and just this, she'd give away, you know, everything she had. The dad was just the opposite. Selfish, self-centered. If you were drowning and he had 10 life rafts, he probably wouldn't throw you one. I mean, his dad was just, it was all about him. And, and, and this father continued to really belittle my friend Dick and even Dick's children throughout the course of his entire life. There's a guy at our church named Rick. Rick is 40 years old, comes to our church. 
And Rick was raised by his stepfather. His dad left when he was a, a little boy. Stepfather's great. Stepfather even flew jets in Vietnam. Wonderful guy. But Rick went to Orlando just about two months ago. Orlando's had some hard knocks here lately, but he went to Orlando just to reconnect with his biological dad. His biological dad basically said, I don't want anything to do with you. And although, even though he's 40 years old, all those little boy feelings of insecurity and shame, just they're messing with him. And so in, in this room, some of you in this room have got that kind of a story. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to go forward? Well, you can run. You can repeat the cycle. You can drink. You can chase women. You can try to fill that big hole with all these toys. You can do all those different things in your life. What are you going to do to go forward? And so what the Scriptures teach us is that everything is at stake. What is at stake is far bigger than even your life. It's your family. It's your faith. It's your future. That's what's at stake. And so refusing to forgive someone is maybe a misunderstanding of the purpose of forgiveness. Rarely does somebody deserve forgiveness that you need to offer it to. Someone has offended you. Someone has hurt you. Someone has shamed you. Forgiveness isn't because somebody deserves it. Most of the time, forgiveness is given to people who don't deserve it. They may even be dead. It's for you. It's for you to go forward. Without forgiving, you cannot go forward. It will tie you up in knots, and it will mess with you, and you will never have that valve of the Holy Spirit open as great in your life as you want it to be, and you need it to be, and your family and your friends need it to be. So I know you're building your case. If you knew my story, Kurt, I'm sure your story's tough, and I'm sure your story's tall. But you see, you've been forgiven, and you didn't deserve it. I've been forgiven. I didn't deserve it. None of us in this room deserved Jesus, the sinless Son of Man, going to the cross. None of us deserved him. He was the holy one. We're the unholy one. He's the righteous one. We're the unrighteous one. He's the sinless one. We're the sin- None of us deserved it. That's the point. But because of what he did for you and me, he's asking us to forgive those who have offended us and who've shamed us and who've badly hurt us. Why? Because forgiveness is always about you and for you. I'm not saying trust people. There are some people that that you need to forgive that you can't trust. I'm not saying trust them. That's another sermon for another day. But you have to be able to forgive them. Look at what happens with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. It says this, At this they covered their ears, and they yelled at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, They began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's a whole other sermon. While they were stoning him, Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He forgave the very ones. 
This is what Jesus said. I mean, what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This is why. He says, but God demonstrated his own love in this for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ, he, he died for us. Louis Zamberini was an incredible high school athlete. Maybe you saw the movie Unbroken. Maybe you read the book. Louis Zamberini was uh, in high school. He ran a four-minute and 21-second mile. Had the state record in the state of New York for like 34 years. Went to the 1936 Berlin Olympics. He actually met Adolf Hitler. Did extremely well as a high school student. Then in 1940, he's going to go to the Olympics, and he's predicted to win. The war has broken out. Ironically, the Olympics were in Tokyo, and so the Olympics got canceled in the 1940s. He joins the Army. And as he's in the Army, he's on an airplane on a search and rescue mission. And that search and rescue mission, that airplane, both engines go out, and he careens into the Pacific Ocean, spends 47 days on a raft, drifts 2,000 miles. The Japanese Navy pick him up. He's two and a half years in a prisoner of war camp. And while he's in these three different prisoner of war camps for two and a half years, there's a, a guard who just really didn't like him called the bird. And the bird began to torture him. And the bird ironically also moved to the other POW camps with him. And for two and a half years, the bird did the inc most incredible, torturous, cruel things you could ever imagine to Louis Zamperini. The war's over. And Louis comes back to the States, and he begins to drink heavily. He can't get over the pain. He can't get over the shame. And his wife said to him, you got to get some help. He goes to a Billy Graham crusade. 1950, Louis Zamperini hears the gospel of Jesus Christ by Billy Graham. And he realized that he had been forgiven. And he had to forgive those guards who tortured him. He goes back to Tokyo meets with several of the guards, and they basically forgive each other. But the bird wouldn't come out. The bird wouldn't meet him. 1998, we go from 1950-ish to 1998, Louis Zamperini goes back to Tokyo for one more time to try to meet with the bird. And the bird still would not meet with him. And Louis Zamperini said, I still have to forgive him. And he did. Forgiveness isn't that someone deserved it. Forgiveness is for you. My, my mother actually taught me that. In 1986, um, Danita and I finished graduate school in Louisville, Kentucky. And my parents from Indianapolis, Indiana, wanted to treat us to a celebration of graduating from graduate school. And so... They said to us, they're from Indianapolis, we'll come down to Louisville, we'll pick you up, and we'll go to New Smyrna Beach. We said, we love the beach. We said, absolutely, let's go. So we spent a week in New, New Smyrna Beach near, near, near Daytona. On the way back, we decided to spend the night at Danita's mom and dad's house in the Knoxville, Maryville, Tennessee area. Got right into the house, and I knew immediately something wasn't right. I could tell from my father-in-law, just a little quietness to him. He huddles us all into the kitchen. And he said to my dad, with all of us right there in the kitchen, he said, Don, I hate to tell you this, but your dad, um, which is my grandpa Parker, the guy I told you I met twice for less than an hour, he said, your dad uh, has taken his own life. 
uh, he shot himself. So I just see my dad buckle. I see him break there in the kitchen. A couple hours later, I can hear he and my mom having this not-so-quiet conversation in the other bedroom. And Dad saying, I'm not going to the funeral. My mom said, you're going to the funeral. Dad said, I'm not going to the funeral. My mom said, you're going to the funeral. And the voices are getting louder in the back bedrooms. I'm not going. And my mom said, Don, forgiveness is not for him. It's for you. And I need you. I need you to forgive him. A couple years later, Dad and I are in our garage, and now I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. We're building a workbench. And um, he brought some tools in a toolbox. He had several boxes of tools. He and my brother loved all that. I played sports. They built things. And so he brings me a toolbox. And I don't think he remembered this. He probably hadn't opened the box in years. But there was a three-by-five card inside that toolbox, and it was a poem about forgiveness and how the need was to forgive a man. And I thought, my dad at General Motors read that poem every day. He would open that toolbox every morning, and he had to read that poem about forgiveness. Maybe that's you this morning. I want to lead us in what I call a forgiveness service. I want to ask all the men in this room to be bold and to be brave. And maybe for the first time in your life to do something that you've never done before, you're going to forgive him. It isn't about him. It's about you going forward because you have been forgiven. And we're going to do the ladies in just a minute. But men, first, I want to do just the guys in the room. So I want to ask all the males in the room, if you would, stand up with me. I want you to think about that one person, could be a father, could be a grandfather, could be a teacher, could be a coach, could be somebody in your life. Who is in your life that you've never forgiven? You've really held this grudge and you've you've been unwilling to forgive this person. But today will be the first day of the rest of your life being a little fuller of the Holy Spirit than any other time. Ladies, just hang on. I'll get to you in just a second. Our gracious Heavenly Father who has forgiven us of all our unrighteousness. You've forgiven us of all of our laundry list of sins. We come before you now. And we as men courageously step forward and say, I'm going to forgive so-and-so right now. Oh, God, hear our prayers. God set us free. Give us courage. Give us the will set us free, that we will forgive those sad dads and bad dads and mean dads. We will forgive those grandfathers and uncles. We will forgive them 
We will forgive them in the name of Jesus. Would the ladies join me? Would the ladies join us? All the women stand up as well. And ladies, if there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive, I'm going to ask you at this moment to join us in in prayers of forgiveness. You pray and you tell your Heavenly Father that you're going to forgive him or her. believe that we can make a difference because of your Holy Spirit. And we believe the church is the hope of the world because of the Spirit in us. And we believe there's no limit to what we can do because of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners right now to come down front. And as our prayer partners come down front this morning, perhaps this is your day that you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never invited Jesus into your life. This is a grand opportunity today to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Perhaps something's still toying with you and this whole sermon's still messing with you and you're going, preacher, you don't know my story. Come down front. Tell one of these folks your story. Come down front. Let one of these folks pray with you and pray over you and go forward in victory. Happy Father's Day. God bless you.